There are no shortages of anecdotal stories that demonstrate the impact classical Christian education is having in the lives of students in K-12 and beyond. A few years ago, you may recall, there was a highly publicized study called Good Soil that showcased the impressive results of graduates of classical Christian schools years later in terms of the impact that the education has have and is having on their lives. We discussed this study at length two years ago on Basecamp Live episode 145 if you want to go back and listen. But just this summer, Brad Dupeloff, as part of a PhD program with the support of the folks at the Barna Group, set out to measure the ingredients that enable classical Christian ed graduates to go the distance in their lives and in their faith. Brad's insights continue to illuminate the unique and proven and measurable impact classical Christian schools are having on the next generation. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. Thank you for taking the time to listen I always say that at the beginning of these episodes because I really do appreciate the opportunity to speak into your lives and to impact schools around the country. Love hearing from different school leaders. Love getting the opportunity to come and visit at your schools. That's definitely something I'm going to do more of uh, this fall and in the coming years. If there are opportunities, you can check out the Basecamp Live website and learn more about various ways that I engage with schools around the country. But number one, most important, this episode is here as a resource for you. And I appreciate any feedback and comments and just connecting with you, info at basecamplive.com. I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Dr. Brad Dopeloff, who is a fascinating individual. He'd spent 25 years in public education and discovered, like so many classical Christian schools, made a huge life change, and is a guy that that asked hard questions. And in particular, as he began his PhD, he wanted to see what are the ingredients that really go into causing students to go the distance. Uh, Dr. Doloff is the headmaster and dean of the School of the Ozarks. It's a fascinating model. They're considered a lab school of the well-respected College of the Ozarks. They have access to the best resources from the college that they then pour into this 125-year-old Christian liberal arts school uh, over the K-12 journey. His experience in secondary education spans more than three decades and includes administration and coaching and teaching mathematics. He's also proven himself to be very community-minded and connects and serves throughout his community. His educational background includes a specialization in education, a certificate from the Missouri State University back in 2011, an administrative certificate, um, Master of Science in Education, and a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Bethany College. So again, somebody who's a practitioner in the trenches of everyday classical Christian education, but brings that scientific mathematic mind, which is perfect for the research that he's done. I'm really excited about what he has uh, discovered that we're going to get to share with you here in this interview. So let's jump now to my conversation with Brad. Well, Brad, welcome to Basecamp Live. Well, thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I have to admit, I feel a little bit like Groucho Marx, who said he wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have him. And so I think so highly of Basecamp Live and have learned so much from it. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'll want to listen to it if they would have me as a guest. Well, so. I, I don't think, no, I'm delighted. Um, how, how did, you've been listening for a while, apparently. So Absolutely. From, from the time you launched, I downloaded the app. And I'll have to confess that 
you come in second place and I'm getting ready in the morning, showering, doing all of that. I yeah. first listen to Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. Oh, my goodness. And then the podcast immediately goes into Basecamp Live, wow. which I continue I, to listen to. Well, so. Brad, that's that's honor, an honor and I appreciate it. And um, that's a lot of hearing me talk. My wife says that's uh, enough's enough sometimes. So <laughs> you're willing to keep going. And I appreciate that. No, she doesn't say that. I love my wife. Um, Brad, thank you for, for being here. We're at the ACCS conference. It's live. That's why we're hearing some background noise going here. And um, you have an amazing story. You walked up to me and you, you handed me a five by seven uh, piece of information or, or a card that says Dr. Dollop's research results. <laughs> um, so we're going to get into these amazing research results because I'm always hungry for quantifiable evidence, if you will, that this classical Christian thing is, yeah. it really works. Yes, it does. And it does work. So let back up a little bit. Um, you're, so you were your own journey at educationally public school sounds like yes public school I, I grew up in a family of educators my dad was a public school math teacher for 42 years uh, I have two brothers that both became math teachers my sister did not like math particularly but she married a math teacher of all things <laughs> and her two sons became math teachers so uh, yeah there's no escaping in, it yeah. yeah absolutely steeped in public education I saw the impact that my father had as a Christian in the public school yeah and I think deep down I had a desire to impact lives in the same way and that's the only path that I knew of at the time was well I'll just go so, into public education and you were in and you were teaching what in public education all the time? I was a, I was you were a math, math teacher okay. yes yeah. yeah and a coach and that was for 25 years is that I right? say 25 years the last eight and a half was uh, in administration. I moved over to okay. the dark side okay. yep. the, yeah, and became an administrator. But the, uh, Mr. No Child Left Behind himself. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And then somehow or another, a Damascus Road moment happened, and you found this thing called classical Christian education. What right. was that about? Yeah, so um, we live in Branson, Missouri, and College of the Ozarks is there, and I saw that they were looking for a head of school for what they called a lab school, which is just any school yeah. operated by a college. So I started looking into it and I was like, hmm, that's interesting that something called classical Christian education. And I think I came across the ACCS website and did a quick overview of what can I learn about this before I go and interview. Right. Uh, gave God five good reasons why I thought it wouldn't work. I, I called them <laughs> hurdles and I watched them systematically wow. knock each one of those down. Um, I, I was so ignorant of classical Christian education. I'm not sure why they hired me. Uh, I remember in the interview, I talked a little bit about what I had learned on the ACCS website. And then I said something lame like, well, I've seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think it's based <laughs> loosely on the Odyssey. So well, anyway. I'm just glad you didn't uh, reference Harry Potter or something. That's <laughs> yeah. probably a good, good move there. Yes. Well, um, and so that, you know, lo, lo and behold, God puts you into this, again, fascinating, because this is another unique model of school. So School of the Ozarks what you're saying at the turn of the century was a school and then it became a college and then they right. turned around, launched, went back and kind of into their own history and created a school again. Yeah, so established in 1906, a Presbyterian missionary by the name of James Forsyth came to the Ozarks region and saw the poverty and felt like, well, we can help this area by starting a school. Right. And so they started a school in 1906, which later became a, a a community college and then a full four-year school. So the last year they had any high school students on campus was 1967. Mm. And so fast forward to uh, 2011 or so, uh, Dr. Jerry C. Davis, who was president of the college at the time, um, looked at this endowment. The Lord had blessed this little liberal arts college of about 1,500 students with an endowment of over half a billion with a oh B. Goodness. Wow. And so a lot of people were trying to get him to start a master's program. And he said, you know what? I think we'll have a greater impact on the culture if we start young. 
And so Dr. Sue Head, who's a vice president there, he charged her with researching this project. And so when I got hired, they handed me notebooks of about two years worth of research and said, we want to start a classical Christian school. Now go do it. Um, and so just just thrilled that God would give Dr. Davis that kind of vision. Yeah. Let's let's start young. And he, he honestly says, I want to see what happens when we have these students that have gone from kindergarten through college here on this campus. Wow. So, so this was around 2012 and you guys yes. started in with high school we did yeah and yeah. again I, I was so ignorant of classical christian education i'm like sure we, we can have a classical christian high school it doesn't matter what background these kids come from um let's let's start a classical christian high school maybe we can share professors with right. uh, the college and so went into it came to the accs conference that summer davies and yeah. i went home and i told my wife i said i feel like i've been to a revival <laughs> Uh, this is this is the way right. I've always wanted to do education and wow. and providentially um, I had a son who was going uh, into his freshman year and so because we started as a high school then he got to go to this school and three years later my daughter and anecdotally I had seen in their lives the impact of this wow. type of education and in in some ways kind of steered me towards this type of research which again and again what an encouragement because I think a lot of times folks come across it later as you did and you know kids are either completely out of the house or are as yours were kind of midstream but right. the very fact that classical Christian education had such a a, a resounding effect that even in even though they didn't get the grammar school they right. were still okay i mean obviously yeah. you're a good parent i can take it well you know that you must have we know that we know we're going to get to that actually in the research parents right. make a big difference that's where it starts but yeah. nonetheless they came in kind of mid-movie and did great absolutely and and that was one of again that was one of the things i wanted to look at too to see if the number of years a student attends right. a classical christian school has an impact but uh, what's what I love is that first year uh, seeing God providentially put me in places I decided to take the science teacher we had hired to a math and science conference that was hosted at the Oaks in Spokane Washington yep. we hadn't even hired a math teacher yet and so uh, Charlie Dowers who's now the headmaster there calls me he was running the conference and he said my headmaster Bruce Williams wants to make sure that you understand what kind of conference you're coming to because you're coming a long ways from Missouri. <laughs> and I said, look, Charlie, we know nothing about classical Christian education. I will take whatever we can find. Yeah. And, and I look at that now and maybe more than the conference itself, God was providing me with a mentor in Bruce Williams that yeah. I could turn to and say, what do I do? How do we right. go about this process? And Which he's, is, I was just talking with him right before I came good. down here, just lifelong friends. Well, and that's, so. that's one of the, I mean, we, we absolutely need to, you know, quote, do life together. I think there's so many folks that are coming into this reawakening or discovering of classical Christian and looking for guidance and support. And it, again, there's, this is what's so encouraging to me, having been just at the SCL conference, now ECCS right. conference. I mean, there is a lot of just ground level support. I mean, half the people at both these conferences are brand new into yes. this. Yeah. So, so let's kind of focus in on the, the research. And as I said at the sure. beginning, I, I, I so appreciate what you've done. Maybe it's because I was a sociology nerd back in the day and as a major in, <laughs> yeah. at Furman. But, you know, anybody can talk a good talk and anybody can bring their best kids to their open house and talk about how wonderful they are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, does it work and what evidences are there? So yeah. talk a little bit about the research you've done. Um, and and why you felt the need to, to spend this time? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and and so as I said earlier, with my son coming in, and then three years later, my daughter, I feel like oh, I've got a personal interest in this. Yeah. We want this school to be successful, and so when we started in 2012, I first ran across the book 
Sticky Faith by Chap Clark and Cara yeah, Powell. And yeah. read that book and was like, okay, what do we do to transfer these concepts to help develop a sticky school? I mean, ultimately, the parents need to establish a sticky faith in their children. But how do we come alongside them and partner with them? Um, uh, as they mentioned in the book, this idea of five, you know, some schools will put out there, well, uh, we have a student to teacher ratio uh, of 15 to one, 15 students for one teacher. And, and Clark and Powell are saying, no, really, for each of your children, you need five people uh, pouring into them. And so uh, looked at that and how do we, how do we create a school? And then, like I said, came to the ACCS conference and just yeah. furiously taking notes. And so um, fast forward a little bit, the, the college asked me to um, pursue a doctoral degree. And I'm 58 years old, Davies. There's nothing that I would have been thinking about going, oh, <laughs> Let's go hey, back to school. This, yeah, this will yeah. open a lot of doors for me in my career. Um, yeah. I'm perfectly satisfied if God wants me to stay at this school till the end. I'm not looking to climb at all. But um, when they asked me if I would pursue it, I told my vice president, I feel like you've just asked me to get a root canal on every single one of my teeth. <laughs> yeah. But again, providentially, God put me in the situation then where I could look at are these schools doing what we say they're doing? I, I could provide anecdotal evidence. We have, uh, we had six graduates our first year, but of those first four classes that we had, Davies, we've got four of our graduates that are now teaching at classical wow. Christian schools, including yeah. my son starting this fall. That's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so I could see the impact anecdotally, but I wanted to see, yeah, all right, do, can we have some hard... Some uh, hard evidence. Yes. So let's get, I mean, just at a very basic level, uh, what were you trying to what were you trying to look at? How big was kind of your sample size? Just a little bit, just give us a sense of the yeah. scope of this. Yeah. So, so when I got into the, the, the program, I discovered the, the book by David Kinneman and Mark yeah. Matlock, uh, Faith for Exiles. And, yep. and I know you just did an interview with, with uh, David Kinneman. Yeah, um, Barna, that's right. Yes, yeah. and so looked at that research and I'm, I'm going, oh my goodness, only 10% of their sample population of young people that were raised as Christians would, would qualify for what they called resilient disciples. And I was like, I sure hope that ACCS schools are having a better, uh, a better success rate than, than what they're seeing in the general population right. of kids being raised as Christians. So um, began to, to work in my program there at Southwest Baptist. My, my other postgraduate experience for a master's degree and specialist degree had been, well, I ended up writing about what the head of the department wanted me to, and it was grueling. Mm. So I went into it, and I showed them this book, uh, Faith for Exiles, and said, can I do a study of ACCS graduates to see if we're having a different outcome than what they found? And so... Um, Started talking with David Goodwin, and he told me about the Cardis study, and then yeah. likewise the Good Soil Report, yep. and uh, that was such tremendous news for us, again, as, as classical Christian schools. Um, but the, the sample population they interviewed was between the ages of 24 and 42, if I recall correctly. And it also, if I remember, and I've again been, been a big fan of that study, but I've also challenged David and said, you know, that, that study was functionally for graduates prior to, I think, 2006. I mean, so, yeah. so, which I always like to remind people, in June of 2007, the smartphone came out. So I, <laughs> yes. I really would challenge David and the team there, and I think they're very open to it, is, is to let's you know, do it again. Go back now, given the current cultural moment we're in, and let's see how well we're doing as far as 
um, the stickiness. Yes. But, yeah. but, but in the meanwhile, while he works out his next round, uh, you've done it. And so, uh, again, kind of give us a sense of what, what were you trying to measure? In okay, that sense? Yeah. yeah. So as you know, as, as a sociology major, you're looking for a gap in the research. Where is there something that hasn't been done? And so I, first of all, went for the 18 to 24-year-old demographic because those are students that are still in college, and we didn't have that. Uh, this is fresh research. The The survey was given in January of this year. Of 22, uh, yeah. Of 22, this is, this yes. hot off the press. So these are kids <laughs> yeah. that had the smartphones, went through the pandemic yep. Yep. at colleges and universities while, while wow. that is going on. And so really focused on two questions. And the first was, is there a statistically significant difference in ACCS graduates and the sample population that Kinneman and Matlock studied. Um, looking at the four categories that they described of prodigals, which unfortunately are those kids that were raised as Christian who will say, yeah, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm either nothing or they'll say they're Buddhist or they've converted to Judaism or something. Uh, nomads was the second category. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I haven't really been to church or done anything with my faith in the last six months. And then you've got habitual churchgoers, which are regular attenders, but you don't see a real impact on their life outside the church. And then the resilient disciples mm. uh, that are not only regularly practicing their faith, but it's having an impact on them and they have a desire to impact the culture around them. So I wanted to see, do we differ significantly yeah. in those four categories? And then the second question was, is there a correlation between the number of years that that these students went to an ACCS school and their their faith commitment currently. Those are great questions. I mean, undoubtedly, you are at this moment, you know, at the the most cutting edge research for our movement. I don't know anybody else that's doing it, especially right now in this moment, post pandemic. So, why don't we take a break? We'll leave everybody around the edge, and we'll come back and we'll jump into well, what the answer is. I okay. Mean, I think it's good news, and actually, I know it's good news. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, very good I was news. Very pleased. All right, we'll be right back. It's time for another quick Classical Christian Q&A with Dr. Tim Dernlin. So, Tim, our question is, why are students' affections an important part of education? Maybe explain Great. what an affection is. Sounds like an infection, but I know that's not sure, what we're talking about. Sure, affection, yeah. <laughs> what we love. Uh, infection is on our minds a lot these days, right? But uh, affection, what we love. Training students to love the right things in the right way is a central component of classical Christian education. So to cultivate proper affections actually helps to calibrate the heart um, to the true north, right? So uh, that the minds of students align with what God loves and, uh, and, and they hate what God hates. So the proper formation and alignment of affections serves as a moral compass for graduates to serve as ethical leaders, um, not just out in the world, but in their homes, as spouses, as parents and citizens throughout life. That's why we cultivate affections. And can you give me an example? Like when, when do you see affections happening specifically in a classical Christian school? Uh, it, they should be happening all the time, all the time. At every moment, teachers are looking for ways to um, shape and, and uh, tune the students to a right understanding and a loving the right thing, not just the academic knowledge. Yeah, and this for sure is the heart and soul and the difference of a classical Christian school. And although you could argue that every school shapes affections um, but may not always be the right they, affection. <laughs> so you yeah, may be. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. We could talk about the list of mo the modern world's affections that, um, yeah, there's no value neutral education, as we like to say. So you're right. Affections are really important. All right. Thanks, Dr. Tim. 
Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of the Classic Learning Test, or CLT. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast, and we're excited to be joining Basecamp in the renewal for classical education. In addition to our beautiful suite of assessments for grades 7 through 12 and soon to be 3 through 6 as well, we have exciting new things going on at CLT. Please check out our new website where you can find out about the Anchored Podcast, the CLT Journal, and upcoming test dates. Head over to www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. Again, that's www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. Whether you're a homeschool parent, a teacher, or a school administrator, we would love to support you and your mission fulfilling a classical vision for education. Welcome back to Basecamp Live here with Dr. Brad Dolliff at the ACCS conference. Uh, Brad, let's get into it. I think folks are probably thinking, this is great. I'm, I'm so eager to hear, what did you find? So give us some of the details. Yeah, so we wanted to see, again, if there was a significant difference in those four categories. And, and so my first concern was, I, I guess I hoped that we would have just the opposite results of what Kinnaman and Matlock with the Barna Group found. If they only had 10% of their sample being resilient disciples, my hope was, I hope 90% of our sample is uh, turns out to be resilient disciples. And, ju- and just to make sure, kind of, as we compare these apples to apples, so the Kinnaman Group was, the assumption was these are, evangelical Christian kids who've gone to church and they're in Christian homes. Yes, I mean, so these, th- these are kids raised as Christians who okay. indicated they were raised as Christian. And right. then now they're 18 to 28 years old and they ask them a series of really in-depth questions, right. close to 60 questions. And then in order to be classified as a resilient disciple, there were certain criteria they had, they to, had to meet. Yeah, right. Some of it's very basic, like, yeah. do, you, do you believe that Jesus was sinless? Do you believe in yeah. the inerrancy of Scripture? Sure. Um, okay. But then there was more than that beyond that to yeah. be qualified as right. a resilient disciple. So I'm just trying to, again, as you, you know, as you look at how this was set up, I mean, you're comparing Christian parents, Christian parents, same thing. Uh, right. Church going, church going, difference, school. Right. So this is really where that variance yeah. pops out. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so thankfully the Barna Group gave me permission to replicate their questions. They gave me the scoring uh, guidelines that they used to, to, to classify uh, the respondents into the categories. And so um, what we found out was that um, 37.7% of the ACCS sample um, turned out to be resilient disciples. So I first looked at that and I was like, well, that's not 90% <laughs> like I hope, but that's four times what the, the other yeah. group had been. Yeah. And then the second highest category, those that they called habitual churchgoers, those are ones that attend church at least once a month, but didn't answer all the questions in such a way that indicated it was really making a tremendous impact on them. And so uh, Kinnaman and Matlock found 38% of their group uh, in that category, we found almost 47 percent, 46.9. Um, my advisor, who's head of the sociology department, when I expressed a little bit of disappointment, she's like, "Wait, Brad, look, the, you have 84.6 percent." Well, that, of when these, you combine those first two categories, right, right in right. the top two categories, and she said, "Maybe these young people aren't doing all the things you would hope a resilient disciple would do, but they're in the right place. Right. They are in." with a fellowship of other believers regularly attending church where they'll hopefully right. develop those habits. Well, and, and we've talked often on the podcast just about, you know, when, when do you decide if the proverbial cookies are baked? In other words, is it really even fair at the end of their senior year to, to weigh in all of this judgment? Well, the K-12 education worked or didn't work. I mean, True. obviously there's this thing called 
parable of the sower and a lot of these kids need to kind of get out there and figure it out yes but what you're finding even in even in the midst of kids if you will kind of being some prodigals i'm sure thrown in there they're still anchored there's still a sense in which right. something was deeply embedded in them of truth yes and as you go back through the related literature what i specifically had to say that i was testing was family life cycle theory mm. family life cycle theory says that kids generally tend to follow the religiosity of their parents up until about late teens and early 20s, and then there's this falling away, yep. and then they return uh, later on when they get married and have kids <laughs> of their own. Um, but the research was starting to say, wait a minute, the return is not happening. And so um, I was particularly interested in, can we even buck the trend of this yeah. family life cycle theory? Yeah. And it turns out that that there was so a that, significant difference. So you were at 80, if you combine this, the the two categories of the prodigals uh, are the resilient and the habituals. That's at uh, 84.6%. Yeah, right at 85%. In comparison to... to Under 50%. 50%. 58% in the and Matlock survey. Wow. What about the other category? So then you've got your nomads and your your prodigals out there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, nomads are those who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they indicated they hadn't even been to church in the last six months or hadn't really been involved in any um, spiritual activities. And so... So just to clarify, because it was post-COVID, obviously that doesn't mean they were, their church was online and they weren't going, you, you were any form of legitimate church connection was considered. Okay. Right. Great. Right. Yeah. And, and some, you know, I, I think in some ways you would expect that category to be even higher mm-hmm. coming off of COVID like it was, right. but, uh, in the Kinnaman and Matlock survey, they found 30%, almost a third of their respondents were in that category. Um, we only had 9.1% of <laughs> ACCS graduates wow. who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm really not yeah. doing anything with the practice of my mm. faith. Wow, that's yeah. a that's an A for uh, act, being active there. With only ten percent. Yes, so yeah, absolutely. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, and and then finally the prodigals again. It it was sad that Kinnaman and Matlock found twenty two percent. These are kids that were raised as Christians. Twenty two percent of them indicated, yeah, I'm no longer a Christian, or they might have yeah. said, I'm a Buddhist now, yeah. or yeah. something different. Um, and and so. Uh, honestly, I was hoping that one would turn out to be zero. zero. Of course, that's unrealistic, well, <clears throat> I guess, but 6.3%. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's an astounding number, though. And, 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 by, and I think it's interesting you're calling them prodigals. You've not called them, like, you know, the you know the the uh, ostracized forever i mean right. you, know, you may be ch- checking in on prodigal sons there in the pig pen but he's still coming home i mean you don't know yet right yes and and anecdotally that's again we had a, a student that just reconnected with my wife and me the last year mm. and she had wandered away for like six years as a matter of fact she left our school in her senior year and has come back um she said you know honestly i don't know i think i had an emotional experience when i was about 11 or 12 yeah, but, yeah. Uh, just for her to come back and say, I, I've been angry at you for six years because yeah. I thought you were the enemy. But she said, I'm here to ask you to forgive me. Wow. So, yeah, I love so I love the fact that they called the them prodigals. prodigals. do come home. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, good. We'll, we'll keep going. What else did you find? Yeah. yeah. So the second question I looked at, again, because we started as a high school, we've got a significant number of graduates that had only been in an ACCS school four years. And, and so we intentionally avoided surveying any of our graduates. You understand that idea of social desirability bias. So if our graduates get a survey that's coming from me, they're likely to give the answers wow. I would want to hear. So, but, but I wanted to know, well, we started as a high school, which I don't recommend anybody <laughs> do it that way. But um, is, is there a difference? Is, is there a higher faith commitment? So we took a subset of the Kinnaman and Matlock 
um, questions. And so we had 15 questions that were on a four-point scale, with four being the, the highest faith commitment. So the, the faith commitment scale score could be 15 if there was really no commitment at all, all the way up to 60. And so we compared that with the number of years they indicated going to an ACCS school. Uh, it turned out that we couldn't find any significant correlation because both numbers were so high. Uh, the good news, Davies, is that in that sample population, on a scale that could range from 15 to 60, the ACCS graduates had a faith commitment scale score average of 53.8, almost 54 out of 60 on those factors mm -hmm. that indicated a strong faith commitment. Right. Um, it just happened to turn out that in that sample, the number of years they attended an ACCS school averaged almost 10. And so you couldn't really establish mm -hmm. a correlation because both of them were high. You're hoping to see, well, a higher number means a higher score right. and a right. lower number means a lower score. But we didn't have many in our sample that indicated just a few. Well, and I, again, years. thinking about just, um, you know, survey methodologies and best practices. So you mentioned about you, you had you were factoring out the possibility of them of skewing the results because they knew who you were. Right. I mean, do you, do you feel like, too, again, kind of devil's advocate, is it possible that just because you put the survey out there and these are, it was a voluntary, uh, op, you know, engagement, it, they yes. didn't have to. So, I mean, all of, did all of the, uh, you know, the nomads and prodigals just say, I don't care anyhow, I'm not going to fill out the survey. So it's all of the, you know, the resilient disciples that filled it out. I mean, it, it, is there a way to filter that or yeah, factor I, I, that? Yeah. I think being intellectually honest, you have to say that that's a realistic possibility. The only right. way that I had to access ACCS graduates was thankfully the cooperation of well, David uh, Goodwin well, of course, and, right. and the organization. And so reaching out to heads of school and saying, hey, would yeah. you either send this to your graduates or appoint a school liaison that does yeah. that? And so it was something as simple as, hey, here's some research that we'll yeah. not see the results of. We, we put that right up front that yeah. no one would ever be able to associate their results with who right. they were or right. what school right. they went to. But I, I think, yeah, it, in all honesty, you have to say, well, there may have been some who are in that uh, nomad or prodigal categories that, yeah, I'm just not going right. to fill that but, out. But, I mean, I, you know, again, it's a whole survey, you know, plus, minus percent. I mean, you know, so, okay, fine, give it a 10% yeah. variance, like, okay, or 15 even. It's still remarkable. I mean, the, even if right. you factor out all of these what-if scenarios, it's yeah. pretty solid evidence there, it looks like. Well, and as a sociologist, you understand that there's this idea of level of significance. And so you're wanting to have a level of significance that is at uh, the very minimum point. 05, right. which means there's right. less than a 5% chance that it was just coincidental. Uh, these survey results, especially on the, the analysis of the, the four categories, the significance level, Davies, was 0. .0001. <laughs> and you're hoping to wow. at least get as small as 0. .05. So right. the significance level, I think, pretty much rules so, out that, hey, it's just coincidental or just a Right. So a in, in simple layman's terms, it's solid research. I yes. That's, yeah, that's the point. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We'll yeah. continue on. There's a couple other variables y'all were looking at. Yeah. So I, I only asked two questions because, again, um, yeah. I, I was wanting to get to the end. I, I told my statistics guy, he, he had some suggestions for me, and I said, look, I'm 58 years old. I, 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 want, <laughs> I need to get this done maybe before I'm 60. Yeah. Uh, and so we just asked those two questions. But there were some other interesting trends that popped up in asking the, the students to rate the faith commitment of the home they grew up in and then separating out mom and dad. Uh, also looking at the the, the number of ACCS graduates, almost half of them that responded to the survey are currently at a Christian college or university. 
And so that, that begs the question, is yeah. the old chicken or egg, are they choosing to go to a Christian college or university because of that strong faith commitment? Or did this group have a stronger faith commitment because they chose to go to a Christian college or university? Right, right. So that's that's something that remains to be seen. But um, I think there probably is a very high percentage of all ACCS graduates that that make that decision. Sure. Well, I mean, they've been they've been guided and directed and experienced for 13 years that this is the kind of setting. It's hard for someone I think to come out of our schools and just drop into State U and. Right, um, you know, and have every variable. Not that they can't, and not that they shouldn't at times. But I think they're probably choosing to kind of continue what I like to call 13th through 16th grade. So yes, yeah, yeah. and and so I, I thought, well, now that I have these results, can we look at and see if there's a difference in the group that went to public universities? Because we all hope, no matter where these students go, they'll they're have an impact, and they will. I mean, right, right. And again, being intellectually honest, you have to do some assumptions testing on the sample to see yeah. if you can detect a difference and. Um, the sample size that we had did not pass the assumptions testing, so I couldn't really check right. to see is there a difference between the public university students okay. and the Christian yeah. College or university students. Well, we're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to I do want to talk about this this indice of looking at the uh, you know perceived family faith commitment and kind of mom yeah. and dad's role because we know really that I mean it's the old the apple does not fall far from the tree. So right. We all kind Absolutely. of know. Um, you can. Uh, you can go a long way with a classical Christian school, but we can't be your family and we can't be your church. So these are key ingredients. So. Exactly. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and, and hear the rest of the research and, and then really talk about just some application. Um, you know, very practically, we all want to have sticky kids of sticky faith and we, we yeah. know classical K-12 is the right direction, but beyond that, what else can we be doing? So, okay, all right, sounds Brad, good. We'll come right back. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. Keith, I think most of us recognize now we've, we've got a generation of kids that grew up, you know, showing up for an athletic event and never doing anything but still getting a trophy for it. And... I think there's obviously something wrong with that, but there's still this, I think, probably confusion in a lot of our minds around, we do want to build up their self-esteem. We do want them to be self-confident. Help us understand that. Where, where, where's that line between encouraging them and overdoing it? Yeah, you know, I, I think some things we've learned in the last 25, 30 years with self-esteem is that we have definitely overdone it. Um, and here's what, some of the things we know, that when we overinflate self-esteem, when everybody gets a plastic trophy and everybody's getting an award for basically existing and breathing and being a member of a class, um, when we do that, a couple of things happen. Number one, we typically increase anxiety and depression among those kids because they find themselves in one of two positions. My parents are telling me how great I am. Everybody's telling me how great I am, yet on the inside, I know I'm not. So that creates a, a, a real a, a discord and often fuels some depression about understanding and knowing who they are. For other kids, it sets a standard that they believe they have to reach. And so they're constantly anxious about whether or not they're going to be able to reach it and fail, and that drives up anxiety. I have those kids in my office all the time. Another category of, of things that come from this pursuit of overinflating self-esteem is uh, that we create narcissistic tendencies. You know, we're telling a person, if you break that down, self-esteem, pride in self we're, we're pushing this over-focus on yourself, your own existence, your own experience, and we actually see it developing narcissis, narcissistic tendencies in children. 
And the third thing we see is, and this is the most troubling day to day, I think, an overinflation of self-esteem decreases regard for others. In other words, the more we overinflate self-esteem, the more we are telling a child how great they are, we make it harder for them to see their neighbor. We make it harder for them to to be selfless. Yeah, and that yeah. directly inf- affects their ability to operate in the community they're in. Yeah, and I see that on a daily basis as one of the worst things coming from this this drive to in, inflate self-esteem. It seems so counterintuitive. It seems like the very thing we would want to do is actually be affirming them. So, I mean, how do you how do you again find the line? But we we know we're not going to give our kids a trophy for everything. But are there things that we should be, how can we affirm them without crossing that line? What should we be saying to them? Well, I think, I think we have to tell our kids the truth about some basic things in life. Um, well, one of these, it's not understanding, not having the best self-esteem, but actually seeing yourself accurately, understanding that we are broken. You know, I think Francis Schaeffer referred to us as a glorious ruin. You know, understanding we're broken, yet God made us with a purpose and made us capable. And talk more with our kids about not how great we are, but how God made us to operate in his kingdom. You know, equipping a child to get along with his friends is more valuable than any plastic trophy he would get. Yeah. One comes from understanding your role in God's kingdom, understanding how to deal with those around you. Another comes from just thinking I have to pursue an achievement. Yeah. And seeing yourself certainly as a a receiver of unmerited, unconditional love and grace goes a long way to kind of brightly orient that, I would think. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. Well, Brad, welcome back. Really appreciate this research that you've done. Uh, are you going to do more research? And is this is this spark something in you to kind of go after all these? Yeah, research well, projects? I, I'm certainly not going to pursue another degree oh, and go through the the rigor of of, of another doctorate. Yes. When, you're, when you're 60, that's right. <laughs> but it has sparked an interest in me to see if we can somehow isolate the 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 fact that the students graduated from our school. I want to do an alumni survey, I guess Mm. is what I want to say. And if we can somehow assure the anonymity, I would love to see our students answer these same questions to see what, what exactly are our, our students doing. Sorry. I hope, no, I hope you do. Cause I think that's the, uh, you know, I think, I think it's important to, you know, to understand what I, what I know will be a success story, but you know, where are the, those little points of improvement? And I think that's something obviously as we, launch these kids increasingly into a, an increasingly toxic world. I mean, how much prep work? I mean, I've, I've always said, yeah. it, uh, I think we could probably spend more of our 12th grade year really pressure testing before we launch them and send them out there. But uh, Right. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, the heart tug as well, when I look at that, even though it was a, a small percentage of 6.3% of ACCS graduates that turned out to be prodigals, my mind can't help but go towards uh, Jesus' parable of the lost sheep. Yeah. Uh, what What's happening with this one, and what do we need to do to go after that six point three percent? And again, anecdotally, I can point to some of our graduates that I I don't think are practicing their faith, and they yeah. might not even say that they are a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, and my heart tugs for those. So I think further research would be yeah. maybe uh, qualitative research of talking to those that are mm-hmm. prodigals or nomads to find out what factors are contributing yeah. to that. And then also pursuing those resilient disciples to ask, what are those factors that were present in your life? Yeah. Let's hear it from your point of yeah. view. 
Well, let's get one more um, area of, of focus as far as the research goes, which is right in this, uh, to your point about family and, and faith commitment. So talk a little bit about what you found, especially with regards to the involvement of the parents. Yeah, it was kind of interesting and, and would have been one of my research questions if I felt like I had more time in, in my life than, than being uh, in the sunset period. But um, yeah, the research indicates that there's a, a very strong correlation in the in uh, high school graduates' perception of the faith commitment in their home. And then um, actually there's a higher correlation between the faith commitment of the mom and continued religiosity than, than that of the dad. And so I decided to ask that question of this group. It was not in the Kinnaman and Matlock survey, but just wanted to hear uh, mm. how they responded. And so, again, this scale could range from one to six. There's actually a literal slider on the, the website where they could slide the scale up to where the faith commitment was. And uh, the ACCS group indicated an average faith commitment of their home of 5.37 on a scale of 1 to 6, which is great. Uh, Dad was slightly lower than that, 5.3, and the moms were 5.54. But again, a very high level uh, of faith commitment in the home, which is where it has to start. Did you define faith commitment like it equals, you know, family devotions or, you know, church attendance. I mean, is it, you just left it with kind of how we left they it wanted, up to their which perception. Sense, right? Yeah. What is indicate the level right. of perceived faith commitment right. in the home you grew up in? Okay. Okay. Essentially the way the question, but was the asked. point is a living faith. It was an active right. faith. It wasn't a, a, a did they know. say, and again, you know, David in, in his book, faith for exile, he talks about an interaction that he had with an employee, I think at the grand Canyon in the gift shop mm. where he prayed for an employee. And he said his 12 year old son, after they walked out of there, he goes, what was more important than the interaction with this young woman we prayed for was my son. When we walked out witnessing this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And he said to David, Dad, we really believe this stuff, don't we? <laughs> and that's what right. we want our kids to see. Yeah, we want them to see we really believe this. It's true. Well, let's let's kind of you know maybe under the uh, the title of what's the recipe because again you you've unlocked some wonderful news and and I think all of us as parents are still how do I, it's it's not an easy thing being a parent. Yeah. Sort of even you know and to educators too because in many cases those listening or in engaging students within the context of the classroom. Um, what are some things that you found, you know, maybe out of both out of your research and then obviously the, the work you've studied? Around, right. Uh, yeah. So as you well know, research requires you to try to find all the related literature to the questions that you're asking. And so looking at related literature and, and asking what is it that seems to uh, increase the likelihood that, that a child who is brought up as a Christian will continue in that Christian faith. And so the research bears out what is frequently said here at ACCS and other classical Christian schools that um, the, the parents are, are paramount. It's the mom and the dad. Uh, God gave these children to a mom and a dad. He didn't give them to a school. He didn't even give them to the church. And so it starts with mom and dad. So parents are, are the most important factor. Um, going beyond that then is, is uh, intentional discipleship in the, the kids' lives as they're growing up. Um, mentors outside of, of the home, other strong Christian mentors or intergenerational influences, one researcher called it. And then there's uh, peer influence. Who are the types of kids that you're hanging out with? You know, Proverbs says the companion of the wise will become wise, but mm. the companion of fools will suffer sure. harm. Yep. And so uh, peer influence and an active prayer life. So there's, if you will, I kind of summarized it in my research as there's almost like there's this recipe that increases the likelihood 
that our children will continue in the faith. And so the parents are providing some of the ingredients. And honestly, our schools are providing, our classical Christian schools are providing some of the ingredients. And I feel like almost more importantly, or just as important, is the school is providing the mixing bowl where all these ingredients of mentors, parents, peers, intentional discipleship, all of those ingredients can come yeah. together in the mixing bowl of our classical Christian It's a schools. great image for it. I know um, Chap Clark, you, you've referenced several times with Powell, wrote the Sticky Faith book. I remember reading that for the first time, and it's it's kind of like with your research. I mean, you're, you're hearing all of these challenges initially, and then you finally get to the results, and, and then you want to ask, well, what, what was the impact? And if again, it's this five-to-one ratio, as you right. mentioned. And so I think that's, a, you know, in other words, we it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it could be a little sad at some point. I mean, as a parent, uh, I guess, functionally, we only have 20% of that pie to fill. Right. I mean, we can do everything we can do, and that's 20%. That means there's 80% of the pie is being affected by other influencers that are re- re- kind of, um, I guess, resonating with that same piece. So yeah. in other words, how many, if your kids are obviously in a church, you would like to think the pastor or the youth pastor, someone there, maybe that's one of the other pieces of the right. pie. And then for sure, I think a classical Christian school could potentially fill, you know, two, three, or four of those pieces that we can't right. get to as just the parent. Well, when we first started our school, Davies, I convinced my pastor and his wife to come to an ACCS conference with me. And he he came back going, wow, we've got to do something different because um, I get two, maybe three hours a week as a pastor to influence these kids' lives. And he said, the school gets... 13,000 to 16,000 hours total from kindergarten through high school. And he said, uh, and, and, and what resonated with me is when we quote Deuteronomy 6, and God is instructing us to talk about these things when we rise up and when we lie down and as we go along the way. Well, 13 to 16,000 hours of going along the way, what's being talked about? Or what's intentionally right. being left out That's right. as you go along the way. And so, yeah, that the, the influence of the, the five to one, I'm just so thankful as a dad that I saw the impact in my children's lives by these other influences that yeah. really kind of said it. They, I guess I would say they verified what was being yeah. said at home. Well, that's, I, I'm sure any of us listening as believers would, if we just thought about our own journey, I could certainly point to my five. I mean, I've got, yeah. you know came from a broken home, but, you know, my mom was an active person, Christ follower, but, you know, I'd spent years, uh, over the years at Labrie Fellowship, was mentored by a, a British gentleman, Donald Drew, who was like a father. I mean, all of these, we all have these stories, but yes. they're all people God's put on the journey. But I, obviously, in a classical Christian school, you don't maybe have to, you maybe don't have to search as far to find the people because they're right there. Right. Yeah. They're, they're the ingredients <laughs> they're are here. Right there. The mixing bowls here is right there. all to come together. Oh my goodness, Brad. Well, anything else that stood out to you? I know there's, there's a lot, um, a lot we can keep talking about here, but just that was sort of a takeaway for you in this. Yeah. The other thing that kind of jumped out in the data after we got it back was the, the high percentage of our, our sample population that was, um, attending a Christian college or university. Almost half of the respondents indicated they were at a Christian college or university. So um, again, is that a, uh, an indicator of a high level of faith commitment that these kids come out of our schools so committed to Christ that I want to continue this type of education? Um, or the other flip side of that could be, well, did we get such good results because they're at a Christian college or university. But again, as parents, I think we need to choose carefully. Yeah, well, especially where, today, right? Yes, yeah. as, they're, as they're leaving our homes, as they're leaving our classical Christian schools, 
what type of messages are they going to be yeah. catechized, uh, if you will, from the culture? Well, and we were talking about before just the, you know, the hardest question for any parent, and it really is, it depends, every child's uniquely made, but at what point do we begin to let out the lead, if you will, or give them more independence? And, I, you know, I think that's where sometimes parents and their enthusiasm to let their children make independent decisions and maybe even fail, quote, fail under my roof so I can kind of walk with you through these decisions, maybe abdicate too quickly. Um, yeah. Other parents probably swing the other way and they're, you know, they're over parenting, you know, even their freshmen in college. So yeah. it's kind of like, how does, what did you see in all of that? Yeah. You know, for, I haven't, I'm not the, the smartest parent in the world, but from the time my kids were little, I told people, and this is a, a silly analogy, but I said, I kind of view child rearing as if you're trying to hang on to a wet bar of soap. If you don't <laughs> maintain a grip, you're going to drop it. If you squeeze it too hard, it's going to squirt out. That's a great so image. Just yeah. that right amount of how much guidance, when do we back off? Uh, when do we start letting uh, other mentors speak into them? And, and yeah. the, the research, uh, Prior to mine and this, I think bears uh, bears out the, yeah. the fact that we need to be very careful about who we let our kids spend their time yeah. with. But the flip side is, look at the fruit when it's done well. So it's right, right, and and you know we could get into the whole realm of, of cell phones, and that was Kinnaman and Matlock's premise: is our kids are growing up in a digital Babylon, and so um, the yeah. influences that they have in their life, the the face to face influences, I think are more yeah. important today than ever. Well, and that'd be interesting to take that five to one, or the you know the pieces of the pie, and how many of those pieces are already going to be backfilled automatically? If three pieces of the pie are filled by seven to nine hours a day of digital. Right. Uh, screen time, which is what it is for most teens, um, you better be getting some more pie pieces in there pretty Amen. quick. Amen. So, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Brad, thanks so much for your amazing research and just encouraging news. I think, again, we sometimes we just get our head down in the weeds and we're like, boy, I hope this thing's really going to work. And, yeah. Uh, and we can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity to visit with you. Thank you for Basecamp Live. And I'm just very grateful yeah. for, for this podcast and also for the ACCS well, well, and thanks. how they've poured into us. Well, thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening. So we'll definitely uh, get you back on here and thanks for your contributions. Thank you. Hey, Basecamp Live listeners, this is Hannah, Davies' daughter here. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I can confidently say that my kindergarten through college classical Christian education has become a critical part of my life. It formed and trained me to be a strong leader, to love God. And now as a married young adult, it's really created a foundation for me to go out into the world, a world that's getting crazier by the day. So thank you for listening to this podcast. It's absolutely critical what's being discussed here. If you could take a moment and send an email to info at basecamplive.com. Let us know where you're from, where you're listening, what's on your mind. We're so grateful that you're part of this Basecamp Live community. Thank you for being here. Please do tell a friend and give a five-star rating on your podcast listening platform. Thank you so much. See you next time.